I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Tyler, for the listeners out there, we just had a <laughs> awkward, silent back and forth of pointing. Who's speaking first this time? I'm pretty sure you were supposed to go first, but I can't remember. And that's because our last episode was like 10 hours long, you know, and so I can't even remember where it started uh, at all. It was an epic journey, the last episode. But I got to say, I've gotten, and this is like people who are close to the podcast, but I've gotten good feedback on the length. Ooh, really? (laughs) Yeah. What were some of the reviews? Just a couple things like... um, you know, being reminded of the time I was saying, you know, I, we probably should try to keep this to an hour. That's our goal and how we blew completely past that. But um, it was a positive experience. Yeah. I really enjoyed re-listening to that episode. And I felt that this was, it was like, this is one of our top episodes, I, if I may uh, say. Um, yeah. yeah People distribute it out. You know, you got, you, sometimes you got to spread things out over like eight listening sessions and that's yeah. good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Corey said to me uh, that she was very happy with an omnibus episode. (laughs) Um, And she did promise to respond to some of our queries about uh, cross country and all of that. Uh, And so so we look forward to hearing uh, Corey's um, corrections. That could be a new segment. Corey's corrections. (laughs) (laughs) We do look forward to that. Yeah, I definitely would appreciate some input. I will say on the notes of cross country and running every time I run now I think of Toby (laughs) I've got him just in my in my mind I don't know if that's good or bad for you given your ambivalence about Toby well I am competitive about it I'm always like why am I so far behind Toby (laughs) fair enough what can you do well Tyler let's talk about revisions and regrets yeah. Well, as I was saying right before we recorded, I thought I had some and now I can't remember uh, because I listened to the episode back. And uh, and yeah, I every freaking time we do this, I keep I keep forgetting my revisions and regrets. I will say, however, that as I was listening to that episode, I did cringe at the at certain um, like locutions of mine, hmm. like the way I'll say like <laughs> or, uh, you know. I say, you know, quite a bit, things like that. And um, I'm not going to change. You know, it's too late. I'm 39. But uh, but it's really embarrassing to hear. And I was like, ooh, I regret this. Oh, and one of the reasons I regret it is I actually have a, I'm quite irritated by a particular phrasing that is popular among academics. And hmm. I'm afraid to say it since a few academics listen to this podcast. But I don't like it when people say right in the middle of their sentences. Oh. Mm-hmm. And they are not asking it as a question. They are stating it as a kind of fact. Um, yeah, and I understand it's meant to be, you know, an interjection and it's and it functions a, a, akin to right or, or, or I mean to like. But I just can't stand right because I feel like it f- either a like forces me to agree with what is being said, much in the same way that young people now say that's fair. Uh, when you say something and they say that's fair and I'm like who are you to tell me whether or not what I've just said is like fair or not but nonetheless uh, 
so that's the first reason I hate it is because it feels like a, a, a coercion. And the second reason I hate it is because I'm like, it presumes that I know like these. So it's like, oh, you know, Mark yeah. says this, right? And it's like, I don't know. Does he? Like, what are you, what are you doing here? Anyway, I've always exactly felt that I was, what'd you say? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I often feel that when people do the, the right. And I'm like, I didn't know any of this. Yeah. Now <laughs> I thought that I was better than that. But listening back, I, I'm concerned that my, you know, functions in a similar way. Uh, so if so, I both regret it, but will not revise it as what else am I going to do? Tyler, I want to go ahead and agree to disagree with you here. I Love I have really come around to a full defense of like in particular. Mm. And, you know, I th I think that those both really function very differently than right. Because I think, you know, is more like, are you hearing me? Are you understanding me? Mm. This is correct. Is it not? Mm. Um, mm. So I think there's a different attitude in it. I also think that like is essential as a qualifier. There are different ways of using like. So if we say like there are different ways of like using like, there are ways that you can insert it too frequently where it's too constant. But I think we need it in some form because it does put boundaries on it. And as opposed to right, which suggests certainty and okay, we're all agreeing on this thing, like undercuts it a little bit in mm. a good way. And I find myself, if I try not to say like, then I say sort of way too much because I need something to just modify it and take a little confidence off of it. Yeah, yeah. And as in, in case you're a new listener to the podcast, um, Megan and I share a sexual orientation, which is <laughs> we're attracted to insecurity. And uh, so any any bit of hesitation you can sort of inject into your speech mm -hmm. patterns. That's going to be a real turn on for us. That's just like, you know, <laughs> is that, can that be a new sexual orientation? I feel oh, like, you know, we're coming up with identities left and right. Why not? Rating. I think we can have that for sure. <laughs> what about you? Do you have any revisions and regrets? I do. I do. Well, I have a couple that are just like quick corrections. And then one, I feel like I've got to give a little more of a response. Um, one was just an error when I was talking about the writing, I mentioned, or I'm sorry, when I was talking about the running, I mentioned a 10 minute mile when I meant to say seven. So if anyone was jumping on that, like, yeah, Toby can definitely do a 10 minute mile. I agree. He can do a 10 minute mile. I meant seven. Um, the other thing I felt like I should have, uh, referenced the year and the citation of my Richard Wright essay that I was recommending the year was 1940. And it can be found, the essay was called How Bigger Was Born, and it can be found in many versions of his novel Native Son in the back of it. Uh, so those were just little correction things. Um, the other was that I think I need to follow up about my comments about the typewriter and needing to get rid of those typewriters that are living in the corners of offices. Mm. So mm. this was a comment that I got directly. This was a, a text, a text comment. So it's kind of a receptionist desk item, but I'm putting it into the revisions and regrets accounting I'll, section. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> That's fair. Um, okay. So this is from, from a friend of the pod, Nick. He writes, so I finished watching, listening to the episode. Oh, sorry. He, um, 
he tends to voice text. (laughs) (laughs) Confusing at times. Okay, so I finished listening to the episode. Very, very captivating. Almost three hours, and seriously, it was great. Yay! Captivating three hours. The only thing that comes to mind um, is that I am extreme. The only thing that comes to mind that I'm extremely disappointed with is your dislike of typewriters. Whoa. Yeah. Typewriters go right from the keyboard to the printer. No monitor needed. It's a streamlined operation. So I felt like I wanted to come back with a revision and regret on this because I thought I was definitely too hasty and drawing in two broad strokes in the way that I talked about typewriters. Mm. My critique is of this very particular kind of typewriter that is in the corner behind Martin's desk. It is very big, oversized. I tried to look it up a little bit. It might be the IBM electric typewriter, which dates back to the 70s. Um, This is the exact same typewriter that is in my office in the copy room next to our very modern copy machine. And it has just been sitting there. And I do think it's a hunk of junk that needs to go. It's taking up so much space. The internet suggests I could sell it for a couple hundred dollars. So I was also thinking maybe I just do a creed. I walk in, I post that thing on the internet and I sell it. No one else is using it. But I very much respect the typewriter. And I like more of a simple classic typewriter, not this really big chunky plug in kind. I'm not even sure what the electrical component of it is, but like a classic typewriter is beautiful. I really also like that idea of like, you know, you type and it goes directly onto the page. Um, so I really respect the typewriter. And so I just wanted to come back and be clear about that, but that I do have an issue with this particular kind of typewriter that I think is the one that's hanging around in offices in a way that is holding us back. Any thoughts? Uh, well, I was, the one thing I was thinking of, I would have to go back and look at the episode, but there was some job I worked at once where they still had a typewriter and it was specific. It was for like payroll or something. Like there was one specific thing that had not migrated into like um, digital stuff. Like, and I, I wish I could remember whether it was when I worked in a law office or something else anyway. Um, but they would have to use that typewriter for like one specific task, like trying to type onto a check or something like that. Um, and uh so anyway i just remember from last time thinking oh i I wonder like what other kind of anachronistic or like residual technologies have lingered in these offices not only because they've gone out of date and like nobody's had the heart to throw them away yet or we don't know where to but also because like there's just one tiny thing that they do that nobody's figured out how to replace yet anyway that's my only uh contribution to this but it does seem like at your office there needs to be a cleansing a per- there needs to be a cleansing because it's not just that it's a situation where all this stuff piles up in the cabinets like old binders that are in really bad shape that students have used and I have a really hard time throwing like I have a hard time just putting things into the trash I feel guilty about that so I totally get it but at the same time it gets out of control because stuff just builds up and we never use it. We are never going to use it. And so I think I need to address this in the fall. Time to purge. Time to purge. 
or maybe to test out that typewriter and see if we can get some money for it. Mm, I like that idea, especially because it makes you come around on Creed. You really didn't like when Creed did that. I remember you were very snarky about Creed's money making scheme. Yeah, I still I still hate Creed and <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking to that. But I I still, you know, sometimes sometimes we sometimes we learn from people we hate. That's very true. <laughs> Tyler, on a related note, I want to wander over to the supply shelf. Let's head there. I found that it left, our discussion last time left me with some open questions. Mm. I wanted to learn more. So the issue came up, or the question of when we use what kinds of pens, and you were a little bit surprised that I don't use the Pilot Precision V5 all the time. I don't use it when I am annotating books. So I want to hear more from you. Would you tell us some more about your annotation practices in relation to pen use? Mm. Is it the Pilot Precision V5 all the time? And do you ever turn to the humble basic BIC? (laughs) I want a podcast that says basic BIC. Um, (laughs) And I guess it would just be about BIC pens. Anyway, uh, okay. I am exclusively, I am monogamous with my pilot pen. And I really use it pretty much for everything. Like, you know, signing checks, taking notes in books, uh, uh, writing cards or whatever. However, as uh, as you'll know, there are certain situations in which these pens are less than ideal. And such situations might include when you're trying to do marginalia on one of those beautiful, like glossy pages in a book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which I remember we got a couple of those in grad school where it was like, Oh, this book is fancy on every page. Um, So, you know, in that situation, you really need a BIC, I think uh, if you want ink. And for me, I can't take notes with pencil. I used to, they would just disappear. Um, Yeah that experience too and i don't like the texture i don't like the uh sometimes the sound bothers me um so anyway <laughs> and then the other situation would be like yeah like a card for example mm-hmm. like those pens are not always great for a card uh yeah if the card has that kind of shininess yeah the glossy uh it doesn't take it very well um so yeah but i will say that i i uh you know i i i have been rethinking in light of this podcast, some of my practices around mm. my pilot pen. And it's it's become, I, I feel like I need to go to like pen anonymous or something because I really struggle with putting the cap back on this pen. And it is like, it has gotten out of control, the amount of blue ink that is all over my hands and clothes. And um, Jen staged an intervention this week and was like, you have to throw out your laptop bag because every time you pick it up, you're getting blue ink all over your hands. And it's because like I've tossed pens in there without caps and then they the ink like soaks all over the laptop bag. And then it just is an archive for, you know, ink stains and and they and they get everywhere. Like the ink is is living. It doesn't it doesn't dry really. Um, so anyway, uh Either I and I just keep going back to your comment where you said it was user error, and it's true. Um, I am careless with my with my pens, and so I, I either need a new pen, or I need a receptacle for my pens, or I need to just commit to putting the cap on. Um, hmm. Which I don't know why that's so hard, but it is. That's interesting. What about 
pencil case. Have you tried a pencil case? I haven't, but I should. I had one back, you know, when I was in elementary school. Yeah. You know, first I was thinking about this recently when I bought a pencil case, actually. And for some reason, that's a thing that in elementary school, it's on your school supply list. It's like a standard thing. You have a pencil case. Right. Now, in more recent years, you know, like my backpack has a little pen slot area, but it's not that great. And sometimes they fall out and there are all kinds of problems. So I ordered this nice, sleek little pencil case. It's mesh. It's small. So it's nice and nice and condensed. It's black mesh very attractive but also you can then see through it so you can see what your pens are in your case i would not recommend it because the ink would come right through it but what right. if you would get some ink proof pencil case and all you i mean you would have to take that step you couldn't just throw the pen into the bag it would have to go into in your pencil case. case but do you think this is something you can do i think i could i would like to commit to trying um, it's a, it's the end of the semester. It's the start of the summer. That means it's a time of change and renewal. Uh, mm -hmm. so maybe I'll try the pencil case idea. I like this. I think it could be a good back to school supply for you too in the fall. If anybody wants to write in and suggest what pencil case I should purchase and, or I do need a new bag, new shoulder oh, bag. I love to replace my ink stain. So, you know, write in for the supply shelf and let me know what to try. Yeah, please do. I love that suggestion. Well, Tyler, should we go to the episode? Let's do it. So here is the summary of season three, episode 10, Benihana Christmas, part one. Dwight and Andy compete to cheer up Michael after a Christmas card gone wrong leads to relationship turbulence. Tyler, where would you like to begin? Um... Okay, let's let's just quickly circle back to the idea of the Christmas episode because mm -hmm. we've had at least one before. Am I right with that? Yes. Just one, I think. Mm -hmm. The one with the gift exchange. The yes. secret Santa turned into Yankee Swamp. Yeah, so when Michael showed up with that bike, I was like, wait a minute, is this for uh, the, the gift exchange? And... Um, Anyway, but I I was thinking back to that episode as like a shadow for this one. And I mm -hmm. think it's I just important to remember that that's the episode where Jim has is going to disclose his affinity for Pam mm -hmm. and has a very personalized gift for her, um, which sh she almost doesn't receive. Mm -hmm. And eventually by the end of the episode does, but he extracts the confessional note um so i was thinking about that just as a like framework for what is gonna play out in this episode in terms of their gift giving mm -hmm. um, but uh, anyway what does a christmas episode need to have i do think it needs to have a gift exchange of some sort Ooh. it needs to have a I mean, I do think a Christmas miracle is a key trope, <laughs> one that Dwight invokes right at the outset. Um, and often like a Christmas episode is about like a character learning to reprioritize their uh, like familial attachments in one way or another. Mm -hmm. You know, like usually it's like they work too much and so they need to learn to like love, you know, their family and humanity or something like that. So it's just kind of fun and interesting to think about this episode as like continuing that tradition, but also 
twisting it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I don't have any great point. I mean, I'll, we'll come back to some of those themes as we go on, but uh, I just love this opening so much in which the Christmas miracle is that Dwight has ran over a goose. Um, <laughs> and I love Dwight's hat in it. Um, oh yeah, he's got the orange- the orange hat. Right orange hat that he also, it first shows up in Lazy Scranton. Oh yes. You're and right. now we see that this really is his winter hat. Um, I love that hat. And have you ever eaten goose? I have not. Have you? Not that I know of. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't really show up in a lot of circumstances, I don't find. No, and yet I was very intrigued. Yeah. Because of the description, he says uh, something about the meat being like a smoky, rich, <laughs> delicious flavor. And I was like, he's selling me on it. But when he says, you know, like uh, molten goose grease, I was like, molten? Like that is such a uh, <laughs> interesting word. I think of lava or something or whatever. But um, anyway, it just cracked me up the way he's like, it'll save you a trip to the grocery store for expensive goose grease. Yeah. I wanted to know what the function of goose grease was. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, would be some more research that we didn't do, but it's curious. Yeah. What did you think of this opening bit? I felt <laughs> so much for Toby. <laughs> yes. In this scene. Oh my God. Um, well, this is this is classic wonderful Dwight bringing in a dead animal to carve in the office. I think it's really funny that he says something like, you know, we we shrews use all the parts of a goose. Um and the fact that this, I don't know why I always kind of get into these things where we get the we get history on a character in some way, or we get the context that goes outside this particular scene through one scene referencing things in the past. So um, I'm thinking about when, to so Toby comes in and he says, Dwight, you cannot keep that here, Dwight. Okay, that is ridiculous and totally against the spirit of Christmas. As you were asking what do Christmas episodes need, I feel like they need something about the Christmas spirit and yes, get it in totally. there in the beginning. Um, Toby, come on, Dwight. We went over this for like half an hour. <laughs> it's Christmas, Toby. It's a dead animal in the office. You can't. Dwight, Toby, I'm sorry. Please, please. And Dwight just kind of stares at him and quietly begs, please. So just the fact that we learned that this is something that Toby, this is an argument that Toby has had to have with him yes. in the past. And I, I felt like his acting there was just really, really good. He just is so worn down by it. And um, it made me think too about his role in the office. And Michael always wants to be the dad. But I was like, is Toby the actual dad? <laughs> He's the one who yeah. has to say no to things. And just the way that Dwight begs him and that feeling of getting worn down to the point where it's just like, oh, God, okay, fine. Just go clean it in your car. 
Yes, I thought it was very strange that Michael wasn't there, but by the but the fact that Michael isn't there allows Toby to be the arbiter. Yeah. Uh, and so I just yeah, it was it was funnier to me without Michael there. And I totally agree with you. I love um Toby's performance. The way he says Dwight, we talked about this. He's yeah. so dead inside, but he's also <laughs> so like perplexed in a way like he's dealing with a child um and I love that Dwight is basically like this is different because the animal's already dead which establishes <laughs> the setup for discovering that he brought in a duck for lunch <laughs> people got upset they got attached to the duck and duck was alive <laughs> yeah 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 and uh so I just really enjoyed that image where he like brings in a duck lunch that's alive and everybody's like oh whatever and he's like gonna go butcher it or something because he says too like i'm gonna run to my car and get my carving knife um <laughs> out of his trunk <laughs> so yeah i felt like we get a it's really great writing you get a lot of character really quickly um yeah, you do you do i was intrigued by a wild rice dressing i kind of wanted to know what that uh what his recipe for that would be it does it does sound right i think i think wild rice pairing with the how does he describe it the rich and smoky flavor of goose <laughs> that's good what do you think of his logic that it was already dead and so it's fine to um roast it in the office oh. how does how does this land for you i mean it's almost like worse in a way because i'm like <laughs> this is <laughs> what parasites does this thing have? Like, how do we know how long? Well, I guess he hit it, picked it up, but still, I don't know. I'm with Toby on this. I especially feel for Pam. Like, you really get the sense in this moment of how little space Pam has. Like, she has no, no, people don't have boundaries with her. And like, <laughs> so he comes in and puts the the goose on her um desk. She's yeah. going to discover it at the end of the episode in the fridge. And then soon after this, Michael comes in, you know, and is like, wants a slice of candy, Pam. And we just get the sense of her. Uh, yeah, like she sort of can't draw lines yeah. around herself and needs others to like intervene so that she can have private space. Hmm. Um, but yeah. uh, Phyllis is into it. Phyllis is into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Creed is not. And I really thought... Phyllis's reaction to Creed was very funny. <laughs> like, uh -huh. what the hell, dude? I don't know. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, Creed is an interesting one to be drawing the line that, like, no, we cannot do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's reminding me of when Michael finds the dead bird who hit the window. Mm. And, you know, he runs down to get it and try and save it. And Dwight is like, no, put that thing close to your head. It could have all kinds of diseases. And if this is a wild goose, could the wild goose also have all kinds of diseases? Like, can you just eat animals? Is it safe, I guess, to eat animals that you hit on the side of the road? I I really, I don't want our listeners to try this. I'm concerned <laughs> about it. Uh, yeah, I just... Uh, well, if anyone has ever eaten roadkill, please write in. Let us know about your experience. Yeah, I... I'm like desperately trying to find out as we're talking like the origin of eating goose for Christmas. And I just keep coming across. Isn't it? Christmas goose. Yeah. Like I'm coming across that it is a staple for Christmas Day meals, especially in European cultures. But I'm not getting like 
when that started or why. Um, so anyway, uh, maybe we'll have to revise and regret. Yeah, I'll write it down so I can remind you of it. Yeah, because I am curious about that. Um, okay, yes. revision and regret for Tyler, goose history. Goose history. Uh, so then Michael comes in and I just, I, 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 I feel bad about this, but um, I think it's important to mention that when Michael comes in, he's riding the bike. He says, I need to put this bike in there. I hope it'll fit with all these little knickknacks. And I just really feel it was a missed opportunity for him to say, that's what she said or someone else. And I just want you to know that that's how much doing this podcast has broken my brain. Um, I love it that it's affected you in that way, Tyler. I, well, I, I I didn't get the importance of the bike. So is it just that he brought his own bike? Was were were they supposed to bring new things? Like what's what's the? Yeah, I think they're they're supposed to bring new things because you can see they've got like those knickknacks are new toys in their packaging and all of that stuff. So I think for Michael, this was just a shortcut where he had this old bike that he needed to get rid of. And uh, he gets, he thinks it looks like an act of grand generosity, but he's, he has found out. I love it when he's riding in though, and he runs into the door and <laughs> he says something like he swears, but it, it beeps it out. And there's just something so funny to me in a show like this, where there isn't a lot of that, but there's just like that. It makes that occasional bleep out so powerful. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I was trying to read his lips to see what did he say, mm. but I couldn't tell. And it didn't even really feel like his lips were moving on the beep. Mm. The way that whatever the past thing was. Um, but anyway. Like when he says the last, the the last one was when he thinks queer as folk is called queer as fuck, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Still a personal favorite. His tie in this, I loved. Uh, <laughs> and I really enjoyed the whole office decoration. Um, uh, like I felt the set design was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but in Michael's office, is are we meant to think that the Santa is holding a candy cane as a dick uh did I you didn't notice that? it no yeah i really thought that michael had repositioned the candy cane at santa's crotch so let's put that down to revise and regret later and see if okay. i'm just a pervert or if uh, <laughs> uh if that's I, what's going on i think there's a good a good chance that that was i mean both was. can be true i can both be a pervert and it can be a, and be true absolutely case. Absolutely. Now, this is the introduction of Sandals Jamaica and all-inclusive. So I was wondering if you were very excited to have that enter the scene. I was very excited about that. Uh, so Michael, his first, his interview in his office, he's saying, this is going to be the best Christmas ever. My girlfriend, Carol is coming over to our party tonight and I have a little surprise for her. And then he sings, he's got his tickets he sings about two tickets to paradise and he's taking her to sandals, Jamaica, all inclusive. And I really like when he says all inclusive, you know what that means, right? <laughs> he just kind of makes this noise. Um, Tyler, my question for you is, would you go to sandals with Michael? 
instantly yes <laughs> uh, it's all inclusive megan i mean you know, I would know yeah i would get the skimpiest bikini um <laughs> i would uh i mean i guess he's gonna be annoying but the thing is that he'll be in um like a resort situation where i i would think that everybody sort of has to cater to annoying people all the time mm-hmm on the other hand, he will be annoying and embarrassing to me, but I wouldn't be in Scranton. I would be poolside with like a pina colada or something. So yeah. And it is Jamaica's largest freshwater pool. And I'm guessing that's a pretty big pool. Like you can get some distance from Michael. That's a good. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Could you ditch him somehow or make him leave the resort and then you go back in and then they won't let him back in or something like that? Uh, now, um, if it wasn't Michael, so let's say, okay, you're in Michael's position now, though, and Carol is not going. Who in the office would you take if you were picking someone in the office to go to Sandals with you? Am I Ryan or is it me? I mean, sorry, am I Michael or is it me? Mm, how about both? I was well, going to say, if it's Michael, then it's going to be Ryan. <laughs> Ryan is a good call. Instantly. <laughs> Addison uh, in the office. Or, um, but if it's me, Ah, who's going to be the most fun and the least annoying? Yeah, that's a good question. I was going to say Jim, like he's the least, I don't, I can't believe I'm saying that. That's shocking. I can't believe you're saying it. I can't believe I'm saying it, but I feel like he would just want to sleep and relax by the beach, you know, and, and, uh, would we cuddle? Yeah, of course we would. You know, (laughs) maybe one thing leads to another, who can say, but He'd be a good big spoon. He would be, yeah. <laughs> He'd be whining about Pam the whole time, though, and I'd be like, shh, shh you know. Um, <laughs> you would shush him. Yeah, I'd be like, you could forget all about her in paradise. <laughs> I don't know. All right, who? what about you? If you're Michael and if you're Megan, who are you taking to Jamaica? If I'm Michael, I think, I mean, I think you're right about Ryan. I think that's a big opportunity. But I hate Ryan. He is such a dick in this episode. He is. We can talk about that when we get there, but I think I might take Karen. I feel like Karen would be fun, wouldn't be too needy. Like, I feel like we wouldn't need to talk the whole time. We could also just kind of hang out, you know what I mean? So I'm kind of leaning toward Karen. Yeah, this is interesting. It reveals something about what we want in our vacation buddies. Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is like, don't bother us too much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I do feel like Karen would be chill in that way. And from this episode, you get the impression that she's kind of fun, you know, and yeah. Uh, yeah. willing to, I mean, we've known that she's fun, but um, this is a fun episode. Just because I, for whatever reason, feel the need to do research now with these episodes, I will say that the song Michael sings, Two Tickets to Paradise, is by Eddie Money from his 1977 self-titled debut album, Eddie Money. Uh, And it was released as a single in 1978 and reached number 22 on the Billboard Hot 100, which Hmm. made me wonder, I was like, we need a birth date on Michael Scott so we can start thinking about like what were the formative cultural moments of his. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, his cultural references often seem not keyed to whatever age he is. They seem like 20 years mm-hmm. older sometimes, but nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Okay, wait. So, yeah, bigger question, I guess. Uh, do you send out Christmas cards? What's your thought on Christmas cards? And then reaction to Michael's choice to essentially Photoshop his face over Carol's ex-husband on a ski trip and send that out as his Christmas card. All right. A, no, I do not send out Christmas cards. B, I like receiving Christmas cards. And I like when they have pictures because I do like seeing people. C, I love this so much, Tyler. <laughs> I just find watching this part to be so pleasurable. So, I don't even... I don't even know what to say about it, just that I adore it. It is creative, it is funny, it is very weird, and I think it's wonderful. Yeah, so, okay, wait, did you ever send out Christmas cards, or you've just always been a no Christmas card? Never, I just have never done one. And this is because you hate Christmas, or other? No, no it's not because of that. Um, <laughs> it just... It's actually a lot to think. I just, I don't have that kind of, I don't know. I feel like in my life I'm organized in some ways and not organized in other ways. And getting out Christmas cards is a way that I am not organized. I just got somebody's Christmas card like last month, uh, which was kind of oh, amazing. Really? Yeah, they were like, <laughs> it's still snowing, so it's okay that I'm sending it, which I found to oh, be. That's hilarious. Last month being April. Um, <laughs> Uh, which reminds me, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod, but uh, somebody, did I tell you this? Somebody responded to an email that I sent them five years ago. No, like, no. <laughs> and then, and did not acknowledge that five years had passed since <laughs> I sent this email and that we've had no interaction. They just responded as if. Um, and I was like, that is a bold choice. And it is a, it gave me such hope for my own, like, I'm like, oh, I can, I, sh I don't need to feel bad about waiting six months to respond to this email. But anyway, I... I used to love sending Christmas cards and especially, you know, I went to college and I just really got into buying Christmas cards and writing them out and I would personalize them. I would spend a lot of time doing this. And like, how, really... how cute is that? That you as an 18 year old going to college got into sending out Christmas cards. See, I like, I like your reading of it because I hear myself say it and I'm like, well, that's just pathetic. Um, no, but... it's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's like also too when you're trying to forge your own family in a way or your uh, own yeah. attachments you you do certain things right to kind of uh ritualize or crystallize your relationships and so for a really long time that was very important to me and uh two things i think made me increase or two or three things made my like interest in christmas cards dwindle um number one was uh oh man i could go on and on and on about this for a really long time but like the short version is like my mother started sending out those um photo christmas cards and she got real into like i don't know she just got really into the christmas card and it kind of just made me be like uh i hate this like <laughs> and you know i have complicated issues there uh that i'll unpack off pod sometimes <laughs> but um but anyway so there was that then there was uh, COVID and COVID made me be like, well, I have nothing happened this year that I want to remember or celebrate. So like, why would I send out a card about it? Um, and I think like 
the it started to feel more like an obligation than a um celebration or something like that it was just like oh this is a thing you're supposed to do mm -hmm. and i don't know so but but it is it is aligned with my own increasing like i've started to fall out of love with christmas like i used to really love christmas and over the last two years i've really soured on it and you have become so disenchanted yeah and i don't know if that's like i'm finally growing up <laughs> or if it's I, you know i think it's like some personal stuff but the point is that uh i kept thinking okay michael did this but who did he send it to yeah i was wondering that too <laughs> and like because on the one hand like if if he just did it and sent it to carol yeah or sent it to his friends <laughs> there is a part of me that's like this is nowhere near as bad or weird as proposing at Diwali <laughs> and I frankly thought they had already broken up so I was like what's what is upsetting her here on the other hand if he did this and sent it to like all of her friends and <laughs> family like holy shit I would be so upset and like what are you doing? And and anyway, I just love the way she comes in. She keeps staring at him, trying to hold his gaze. And he <laughs> is like missing all the cues of how upset she is. And he thinks what he did was awesome. And she just says, it's weird. And I love the way she says that, I guess. It's so it's weird. So and I just weird. love it. Uh, she says, I think you're a really sweet guy, but I don't know how to deal with this with this thing. And the proposal, <laughs> and I don't think things are going to work out with us. Um, yeah, thoughts on Carol's choice? Do you think she let she let the one slip out of her hands? <laughs> well, the song choice Michael cho Michael chooses suggests yes, and we are going to talk about that. I felt like Carol handled this very well. <laughs> She's right; it is so weird. Um, <laughs> I want to read into the record the interaction. Carol, so she walks in, she's got the Christmas photo, Christmas photo. What is this? Michael, this is my Christmas card. It's a picture of you and me and your kids on a ski trip having a blast. Skis and greetings. Carol, no. See, we never went on a ski trip. Michael, I know. Carol, I went on a ski trip. Michael, right. Carol, two years ago with my kids and my ex-husband. Michael, yes, but what you didn't realize at the time that I was with you in a sense, I was in your heart. Michael, uh, he says, and next to your kids, what? And then that's when Carol says, this is so weird. <laughs> I think that, I think he's running into an issue of dating a single parent who has kids who have a dad who is out there and i think i think you got to be careful messing with the kids yeah you know what i mean like putting yourself into a really weird relationship with the kids like being too um quickly invasive putting yourself in the position of replacing the father remember when he met the kids at the ice rink and it was so cute it was very very sweet he got them onto his hockey stick and he skated backwards and they held on so he's interacted with them a little bit in a cold setting in the past <laughs> <laughs> the setting i like that <laughs> this was 
that was sweet and this goes too far. But it's so funny. It's like, it's worth it. It's so funny. It's worth it. <laughs> it is fascinating to imagine like what works for you. <laughs> like what, what would do it? Uh, but um, yeah, I just agree with you. I mean, when you take it really seriously, it's like, okay, he's displacing their birth father. <laughs> and uh, uh, or is that the right word? I don't know. Biological father, whatever. Yeah. Um, and he is. I would imagine partly doing that out of his own like insecurities and anxieties yeah. like he wants to replace and you know he can't sort of envision a narrative in which he is a part of the family but not the exclusive or 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 primary soul um yeah eternal figure or something like that and um so you know we can sort of see his anxiety maybe underneath the humor of it yeah uh, it is interesting yeah that he chose this image you know so actually your argument about the cold setting like works for me because i was like yeah like surely they took other vacations like why did he pick this mm -hmm. it's a funny contrast you know they were on a winter vacation he wants to take her on like a kind of tropical one yeah um, yeah but as far as i can tell his fantasy of taking her on vacation does not involve the kids and mm -hmm. so i was like you know, what is her reaction to being like, oh, hey, by the way, like we're going on an all-inclusive vacation like tomorrow. So who's going to take care of the kids? Like, yeah, maybe, I mean, my impression was they had not talked about it at all. And this was a surprise to her. Is that right? Yes, that was that was my impression, too. And they're scheduled to leave the day after tomorrow. And it felt like. For her, even in that, like, that's a sign he does not have a realistic sense of what it is like to take care of children. <laughs> And uh, so that makes that that's another count against him, I guess. But the point you said about seeing his like his his loneliness or the kind of sadness underneath this maybe is what makes it such office perfection. Yeah, it's both so funny. Yes, and it is kind of heartbreaking. It it connects to what you said about part of Christmas cards being establishing your own family and, you know, your independence from your family when you were a child. And so for him being single, but so wanting to be married and to have kids and a family of his own, it's like he grasps onto this. And one of the things he liked about Carol, I think, we talked about this when we looked at his kind of weighing out of her and Jan. One of the things he seemed to like is that she has kids and he enjoyed them. And so it does feel like there's this grasping to jump ahead, you know, like to yes. jump ahead into the That's thing where it. you are the guy in the vacation picture who's yeah. had kids and has raised them for like eight years or however old they are. And um, it's kind of heartbreaking. It is. He can't just be chill, right? Like he cannot just be chill. White tells Pam to take a chill pill. I think Michael needs to take a chill pill, you know. And yeah. like you get the impression that Carol is. I, I really like the actress's performance. Like she really does relate to him. Like you're strange, you're weird, but like you're sweet. Like I understand yeah. that this is well intentioned. Yeah. <laughs> but it is also totally. Uh, a violation of certain social protocols and like familial ones or parental ones. It's just very, 
strange, even though I, I just love the way Michael is like ski, ski son's, ski son's greetings. Yes. <laughs> and he's just so proud of his pun and which is very cute. And uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so her leaving leaves Michael to cancel Christmas, which is another Christmas uh, trope in a way, right? Like Christmas being canceled is a classic, you know, I mean, the Grinch who stole Christmas is an attempt to cancel Christmas, Christmas. Um, uh, and, I, and there are others um, that are like uh, out of my head right now. But so it was funny to me that that kind of idea pops up and then doesn't really go anywhere. But Jim says, will they still air Rudolph? <laughs> Dwight, are we going to cancel Hanukkah as well? Um, <laughs> fine, have your party, but no guests. But we invited guests. Um, so, uh, yeah, Michael Sowers, <laughs> and we get petulant Michael mm -hmm. uh, briefly, but then depressive Michael. And I was wondering, have we really seen like sad Michael before or depressive Michael? When was it that Jan, you know, after he goes to Chili's and then he spends the night in the hotel with Jan and she tells him that it's off and he's under his desk and there's a point back then when he, he gets kind of low, right? I think so. Um, but I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to recall, this might be the lowest that we've, that we've seen Michael. Yeah, he's he's suffering. He's on the floor by Pam's desk. And okay. this is the scene that I'm most eager to talk about with you. And I remember it back in the day. Hmm. I thought about it. I think I've seen this episode before. I just remember this one moment and I kept thinking, like, where does this come into play? And for some reason I forgot that it's with Carol. But re-listening to it, I was like, or re-watching it, I was like. There's some ambiguity here. So uh, Michael says, how do you push away the bad thoughts? Like what? Like maybe the real reason they left was because there were things they wanted you to do in bed that were foreign and scary. And not that you didn't want to try them. Some wine may have helped. Do you know what I'm referring to? I don't need to know. Michael, sorry to interrupt. We're appearing, you know, whatever. That's as much as we get. And I am desperate for your hot take. Because when I heard that, I was like, oh, like, okay, Carol had some kink and Michael is either vanilla or totally unexperienced. This <laughs> time I was like, is she asking or, she, you know, inviting him to do very basic things and he just has no experience and thus finds them foreign and scary? Like, <laughs> what is she like? Is it just oral or is she like being like, you know, BDSM, you know, like what? <laughs> what's, you know, is it role playing? And if so, like, how far are we going? You know, so what, what, how did you interpret this? Interestingly, these issues are going to come up again for Michael later. <laughs> oh, I think my favorite thing in this line is when he says, maybe a little wine would have helped. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually kind of thought of this as it being Michael's a kind of fantasy, not like a really desirable fantasy exactly, but like, his sort of imagination of why she wouldn't be with him. Like his, 
I don't know. I think I took it as not necessarily being reflective of truth or reflective of Carol because he was the one that was bringing the Kama Sutra and was like trying to get her to try out some new some new things. That's but um, it it felt like I wondered if it was more projection than anything that was actually about Carol. And actually, you remember when Jan breaks up with him earlier from whatever their thing is and he's so happy that the problem isn't the way he looks yes that he isn't attractive enough so i don't know there's there's kind of a question here of like what are the things that are intolerable to be rejected for that's interesting and what are the things that you can tolerate <laughs> And he doesn't think at all about what he actually did and what she actually said. <laughs> right, right, right. It couldn't be the Christmas card thing or the proposal. <laughs> couldn't be his frighteningly desperate desire to insert himself into the family. <laughs> it has to be that he's too sexually timid, but interesting. I don't know, Tyler, what, Tyler, what do you hope it was about? <laughs> I think there, I think I had always remember. I it was only this time, like rewatching it a couple of times to prep, that I was like, wait a minute, maybe it's funnier if she's just saying like, hey, why don't you go down on me? That would be nice. And he finds that foreign and scary. Like that would be funny to me, <laughs> um, as a demonstration of Michael's kind of lack of experience or his, hmm. or you know that or or whatever. I don't know. I mean, one can have experience and still not you know desire particular things so i don't i just never really understand michael's sexuality like is it is does he, like what kinds of experiences has he had is he timid like are his tastes vanilla like what is he what Tyler, is he like in bed that's what i want to know <laughs> i think you have some fan fiction writing in your future <laughs> it would be perfect for you so yeah but i just i think it's kind of amusing to me to imagine Carol as like actually having some kind of kink and hmm. Michael being freaked out, but <laughs> he couldn't like, I, I don't know. Like he's so incapable of expressing his feelings that yeah. he would not yeah. handle that well. Um, but your point is so smart that, you know, basically like he can't just see the only thing she's, you know, upset about is like, he's moving so fast in such strange ways. Hmm. That's interesting. So there's this difference because sometimes the phrase take it slow it tends to focus more on like physical and sexual. So, I mean, I guess it can go in different directions, but it's like, there's these different versions of speed. Yeah. And he's telling the story as if it's about too much her and it's like too much sexual speed versus too much relationship family intimacy speed yes yes That's but let me tell you why i thought about you in this scene and that was because i was like oh this is one of tyler's favorite things and it's that the camera starts out on pam and we can hear michael talking and then it does that pan out where we see where he is and that he's lying on the floor and all we see are his legs sticking out from behind the desk. I loved it so much. And she kind of like moves out of the way 
or moves over to him, right? And I just found that to be delightful. It was so good. There was one other little visual thing there, and that was that when he's talking, and I think it's when he says, the, uh, it's like at some critical moment when he's saying something a little shocking or like the the thing about not doing things in bed, I think. But it does this sudden, it's Ed is watching his legs, but then it does this sudden zoom in on his legs like it does on yeah. a face. Yes. It where it then like it's giving expression basically to his legs as if it's like, let's zoom in and see what they are expressing. And I just also loved that. So then we get Michael um, grieving. He moves off the floor uh, from Pam's desk into his own office, um, and he plays over and over and over again, Goodbye, My Lover, from the immortal James Blunt. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I guess a few things about this. Number one, I love, it brought me back to that era when like iTunes or Amazon music or whatever would be out and you could listen to just like a 30 second clip of Mm -hmm. the song. Um, And Michael doesn't want to pay for it. Uh, He just wants a taste. Um, And I also, I don't know. I kind of like this scene also because he's going through the stages of a breakup. (laughs) Like, you know, he has kind of like denial initially and, um, then he's like, you know, uh, second guessing that now he's like processing it by making like a, a breakup mix in a way, <laughs> uh, or listening to kind of breakup songs. Um, and I, I thought this was like some of Steve Carell's like best acting, like, especially at the end of that scene, when he starts singing the song itself, oh, it was just so funny. funny. Um, so yeah, what were your thoughts on Goodbye My Lover? Oh my god. This scene is amazing. It's just so amazing. funny. And the acting is incredible. Um I think the way that he gosh. I don't know. It's just it's so so good. Um yeah. So he's, so they're in the office. Dwight is there. Dwight is helping him by sorting out things, like trying to put in a box, get rid of everything that reminds him of Carol. And it's Dwight. He asks, why don't you just buy the whole song? Yeah, yeah. And I just love Michael's reaction. I don't have to buy it. I just want to taste it. I just, I just want a little taste of it. And it's the perfect song what is it about that, like not buying it, but just listening to that little piece on repeat that is so funny and so good? His face there too, he just has the best expressions of sadness. And I love the faces that he does too when it it stops, like the sample stops. Yeah. And so he has to like go, you know, look back and go and start it on the computer again. And just his singing voice when he's like, goodbye, my lover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's interesting. I'm looking at the lyrics now, but the first line is, did I disappoint you or let you down? Mm. Uh, so interesting. I don't know. But of course, he's not really listening to that part. 
<laughs> but it's you've got been that one for me. You've been the yeah. one for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, that you could not escape that song for a period of time. That was just like every Starbucks, every you know commercial. I don't know. That song was everywhere. It was it was in a lot of spots. What year was that song? Was that contemporary with this, or was it different? Two thousand and four. Two thousand four. Okay, so it was fairly recent. It was like yeah. came out few years um it's the, other, the other part that's funny about that scene is that dwight is like looking at the condo closing papers and then basically realizing that she did a good job yes yeah um, calls her one smart cookie and i was just like oh this is like you know terrible breakup uh practice like you gotta support your friend by being like fuck them you know they were terrible yes um which I suppose Andy will attempt to do uh, in his own way, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so he takes them to Benihana, um, which mm. Michael calls Asian, Asian Hooters. Hooters. <laughs> uh, which I'm not sure why, I, but I've never been to a Benihana, have you? I have not, but I think I've been to a similar place, but... I think it's just because Michael or when, you know, when Andy walks in and he, he says something like, I've got the perfect place to take you to. And Michael says Hooters. Um, and he says, no, it's not Hooters, but the babes are just as hot. Something like that. Yeah, right, 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 right. So for Michael, that just translates into Asian Hooters. <laughs> How do you feel about Hibachi? What are your thoughts on this? Hibachi. Is that the title? Is that the name of like this kind of food preparation? Yes, where you're like sitting at a common table and the, you know, the chef comes and preps these things and puts on a performance. Oh, okay. I did not know that, but I hate it. Oh, I expected that you would, but I want to hear yeah. more. It's so socially awkward, as we see here with that couple. So they walk in and yeah, it's this big kind of table that's got the big flat stove in the middle it's it's just all so uncomfortable and i really i think sitting at a table with people you don't know completely kills the dining out experience um so i i don't want to do that but so they come in and they sit they sit down and dwight is kind of getting like pushed out so that he doesn't get a seat next to them and he starts to say to this man who's sitting there oh i'm gonna need that seat and Michael tells him, no, they're on a date. Like, just let them be. But that is ridiculous. The fact yes. that that couple doesn't just say, oh, we'll slide over. Yes. so rude. 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 So this, I, I, this is a podcast about social manners. And if you learn anything from us, move over. Move over. Not only in the hibachi situation, and this may be a bold statement, but I'm sorry. If you're at a bar and it's, it's like there's, you know, two seats, but they're separated slide yeah. down, you know, if like like if if you have like a couple or a couple of people come in, like I hate the way people won't move down the bar to like consolidate the seating. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, anyway, whatever that's it drives me crazy. Sorry. We're living in a society. We need yes. to. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there must be like pretzel day. There needs to be order. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like Pretzel Day, we, we've got to make some concessions for one another. It's not like it puts you out to scoot over by one seat. 
I agree. I agree. In fact, their experience is worse because Dwight is shouting over the whole time. So it is worse. And who wants to overhear Andy and Michael? I mean, maybe you do just like out of interest, but, um, you know, they should have moved. They definitely should have moved. Uh, Andy is such a tool. And the way that he's like telling the story of you look hotter than usual today. And then it turns out that it's like his barista. Um, uh, who he's been buying lattes from for a year. And I just love that joke because I do feel like that is a kind of cliche. I don't know if we've talked about it before or your like coffee going experience, but back in the day, there was a like a college humor parody video. Hmm. And the premise of the video was like, you know, the joke was that a bunch of guys are getting together for a bachelor party hmm. and and they're like, oh, my God, like we got, you know, don't worry, we took care of you, whatever. And they're setting you up to think that it's like a stripper. Um, but it turns out that it's a barista who's just going to make like coffee. And then each guy like one by one is going to kind of awkwardly talk to her and like, but go back and be like, oh, my God, she's in love with you. But like all she does is just serve them coffee. Um, and I oh, do feel like oh, that oh. is a, a particular kind of straight guy. Uh, experience or whatever, you know, this kind of like lo longing for the the coffee shop person. I don't know if we've seen that in movies or whatever, but did you have oh, this experience? You, you video. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I was a barista for many years. Uh, that was my first job at Caribou Coffee. And then I worked at Starbucks in college and after college. And that definitely is a thing. Like there are... Um, I think sometimes some men who are kind of lonely and some of them in some of them in ways where they can be kind of creepy and weird. And some of them, they're just, you know, sweet and friendly and whatever. But, um, you know, if you go, if you're a regular someplace every day, if you buy lattes from somebody every day for a year, you know, you talk to them a little bit, you have some interactions, but there are some people who then, yeah, I think they're with like Andy, there is that expectation you've been buying lattes from her. Like you haven't even been buying lattes from her. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Right. Like they're not her lot. It's not her money. It's not her materials. Like she's, she's just working there and the job is to be friendly and that is part of it. But um, yeah, it does. It does bring some, uh, some certain guys to mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, who who enjoyed the the coffee shop employees? Well, so we're kind of left hanging at Benihana, mm -hmm. um, and jump back to the office. So maybe we should circle back to Benihana in our next yeah episode. definitely. But the other plot thread that we have to talk about is the Pam and Jim of it all, mm -hmm. um, which is also so basically Pam has gotten Jim a gift. Um, and I love that it's in this like folder called classified mm -hmm. and she has tricked Dwight, I think, into believing it like she's the CIA. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and using okay. him for a special mission. That's it. And Jim's gift is he gets to decide like what the mission is. And I thought this was interesting. So to go all the way back to the opening bit, I thought here's here's our reversal of the last Christmas episode. Like if his gift was the teapot and like an expression of his emotions, um, this is her like kind of reversal. And I was curious, like, do you think that she's 
like how intentionally is is she or consciously is she sort of thinking of this as like an important moment uh hmm. or not but he certainly interprets it i think that way because his reaction is like um i shouldn't be doing this stuff anymore you know uh no because of the promotion it just yeah. feels a little bit like and then he doesn't finish that sentence Mm -hmm. uh, and then in the one-on-one -on -one, he says I feel like there's a chance for me to start over and if I fall back into that into the same kind of things I used to do then what am I doing what struck me about this mm -hmm. was how vague the phrasing is so that it is yes. it can read to himself and to her as like yeah I have I'm higher up now and I have responsibility and whatever but it also is like if I get into pranks with you and feel feelings for you he's i think he's afraid right that she's gonna just reject him all over again or something like that that's so smart tyler i did not think about the doubleness of that at all but yeah yeah i think you're so right that's really good i do think so her i think this prank is really mean whoa really yeah like yeah. I, I do not Okay, wait, you had multiple multiple questions there that were multiple issues. So the thing about what does Pam make of it, I mean, this is definitely vulnerable. Like she's definitely putting herself out there because she made something where she put in a lot of time and a lot of thought and effort that's very specifically directed at Jim. And then I, I thought her acting there too was so good. I thought Pam was really very good here um yeah. particularly kind of her face when he says no and as she takes the folder back just a fantastic discomfort and embarrassment face um so i thought that that was really good because I, I didn't think of her as putting herself out there as in like it being a romantic gesture but it being a big friendship gesture and yeah. big friendship gestures are actually vulnerable too you know, like there is a a putting a real putting yourself out there and maybe what's even painful about it is like if you get rejected with a friendship gesture it's not like there's the issue of monogamy or something where it's like you know you just have one friend or like you know i have this i like this other person more than you it's like i just don't like you that much or yeah. i just don't want to have this with you um so that does seem seem painful but but yeah i felt like this making dwight there's something different than say slowly putting nickels into his phone and then eventually taking them out so it hits him in the head and having him submit his secrets to the cia and think that he's going to get some big promotion it made me a little sad for dwight like it's a little heartbreaking i definitely yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I'll definitely want to talk about that more when we get to the second half. But I was struck by what Dwight's secrets are, which is <laughs> about Michael going to magic camp, which, you know, I was like, yeah, is this going to pay off? Like, I'm so excited about this. Um, <laughs> So I thought that it was kind of like that mitigated some of the meanness, like, cause it wasn't like 
here's his yeah, you know, childhood that's true. trauma or something. Yeah. But you don't know the entirety of what he's disclosed. Yeah. So, but would you say this is kind of similar to why, okay, I'm trying to remember, you didn't love Jim sending the faxes from future Dwight, but was it because you thought it was mean or was it because you thought it was stupid? Like, I can't, is this in the same ballpark? Yes. Yes. And is it, I'm trying to, I'm trying to assess my Venn diagram of mean and stupid. (laughs) Hmm. I'm at the center of that. (laughs) Because the other ones, you know, there are lots of pranks. All the pranks are stupid, right? But some of them are like kind of funny. Is it? Hmm. Okay, I'm trying I'm trying to assess my feelings about this. And is it that I'm okay with the pranks that are stupid but they're kind of like dad joke pranks where like it can still get a little laugh out of you like the like the coins in the phone handset thing um where it's like yeah that's dumb but <laughs> okay that is kind of funny. And then these are like they're so elaborate and they make him buy into such a thing. They're so humiliating. Actually, I think that's the thing, because if you could imagine somebody doing this to you and me believing that, like, oh, God, some, right, some school, somebody wanted to offer me this amazing professor job that was, like, a dream thing, and if I totally bought in and put in the time and effort and all that, oh, it would be so embarrassing. Yeah, this is mean. You're right. The more I'm thinking about it. (laughs) But Tyler, please defend it. I mean, I think it is. Well, a few things. I I was just really struck by our kind of ongoing theory that like the attraction between Pam and Jim is the pranking. Mm -hmm. And like it is either the manifestation of their attraction or a medium through which they express their attraction. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense that Jim has to reject it. Um if pranking equals like mm-hmm. a kind of intimacy in some yeah, way, at least yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I think that it does, it, I think Pam is, I mean, Pam must be aware of that now, right? Because he's disclosed her feelings and whatever. So it's just, a, it's so much effort to mm-hmm. do this uh, that, that that struck me, you know, mm-hmm. um, And it is like, yeah, I don't know. It's just so interesting how Dwight mediates their intimacy. Um, But so, yeah, I don't I don't have a defense of it. But what I do think is interesting is that soon after Jim rejects Pam Mm -hmm. um, is in the meeting with uh, Angela and Karen and Meredith and Phyllis. And basically, Karen proposes a few different things that would make the Stanford people feel comfortable Angela rejects them all out of hand. Um, And then this precipitates Pam forming an alliance, essentially, with Karen. Now, Pam says she does nothing to defend Karen in that meeting and essentially lets her suffer. Then afterwards, in the one-on-one, says, I feel like I've been kind of cold to Karen, and there's no real reason for it. I mean, it's not like she's ever done anything to me. So I think I probably shouldn't be cold to her. Now... I was thinking, now that's very interesting. Like she's framing herself as kind of like, oh, I've been cold, but now I'm going to be nice. 
But mm-hmm. I actually think it's the reverse. Like, I think that she's been keeping a healthy, friendly distance. And mm-hmm. now by being rejected from Jim, she is going to manipulate Karen, which is precisely what she does, I think. And she say, so we could re- rewrite the sentence that says, I feel like Jim's been kind of cold to me and there's mm-hmm. no real reason for it. I mean, it's not like I've done anything to him. So I think he probably shouldn't be cold to me, like, because that's what she's actually feeling, you know. Now, mm-hmm. he she did do something to Jim. She rejected him and, you know, among other things. Um, mm-hmm. But I, 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 I really thought it was interesting the way that Pam then goes over to Karen and is like, wow, that was crazy, like you know, um, I liked your idea for karaoke and essentially what they then do is prank Angela and, and that ends up becoming a prank on Dwight by forming the committee to plan parties, um, to displace the party planning committee. Right. And, um, and inevitably then involves Jim who gets to decide, whether the committee is valid or not. So I just read this as a very, as a complicated displacement of Mm. both Pam's desire to entwine Jim in her prankery and thus intimacy and her um, attempt to kind of uh, reject or not reject Jim, but like, work around his rejection or return his rejection by yeah um, by essentially winning Karen over and we see how uncomfortable Jim is because he basically says like that's what you want right that like the Stanford and and uh Scranton people are coming together although at this point is anybody else left from Stanford but nonetheless um uh what's her name Hannah yeah yeah Bar. she's still back there she's still there. Um, Oh, Tyler, this is fascinating. Hmm. And it works because there's that, like, like when, when Jim says that thing about people are supposed to come together, right? Like he, he's been watching them and has been feeling very weird about it and jealous about it. And it's sort of yes. like when Michael gets rejected by Carol, he goes to Asian Hooters. And there's that idea of like, you know, you go, you go both drown your sorrows in someone else, but also try to make them jealous. And Pam is doing that too, where you might typically think of it being like you would go to a guy and flirt more with a guy to make them jealous, but you can do the same thing with Karen. Like it doesn't have to be a guy. Does she know that Jim and Karen are together? I think so. Because she knows he's with somebody and she's watched them at the copier and so she knows what she's doing i think she knows what she's doing so i hadn't thought of that until you suggested it but yeah i think this is some cunning pam and maybe it's both things where she both like feels feels bad and does care and wants to reach out to karen and at the same time there is this kind of more self-serving aspect of it and it's in being rejected by jim it both makes her able i think to be a little more sensitive to karen but then also it's like a path to kind of use karen in a way yeah 
Yeah, and I'm not sure, I don't know how conscious it is, but I'm also kind of like, is it is it necessarily a bad thing, you know? Because it is true that she has every reason to connect with Karen. Yeah. Like, I think it's kind of shady of Jim not to be like, hey, just, you know, I'm dating Karen. Yeah. But like, you know, and we're friends, right? Yeah. So, but on the other hand, like, she is the one that rejected Jim. Is yeah. he right to protect and shield himself? On the other hand, she rejected, he kissed her when she was engaged. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, she, <laughs> we've long felt that she was in some way, if not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say like leading him on, but that she was, mm-hmm. she must have been aware of his. Interest. She was sending, she was sending mixed signals. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Love is complicated. Love is complicated. And it was nice for Karen, though, to have a friend in the office. And I felt like, especially when when Pam tells her, or when Karen asks, like, like wasn't that weird or wasn't that bad or something? And and Pam affirms, like, yeah, that was that was bad, and kind of like makes her feel more seen and more understood. And Angela does run a fierce meeting. I liked how we. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because I I like how we had the the callback to the streamers and a debate over which colors are whorish. Yes. So when Angela says, Phyllis, I need you to pick up green streamers at lunch. Phyllis, I thought you said green was whorish. Angela, no orange is whorish. And this is from a previous um, party planning committee meeting where they were deciding what kind of streamers they wanted and uh phyllis proposes green and angela says no green is whorish when phyllis is wearing a green sweater this time she's got an orange like a black and orange shirt and so orange becomes whorish and uh, (laughs) i don't know i i just really like the idea of colors being whorish (laughs) so you're on angela's side in this one well i was wondering if i Here's the here's the thing that Angela says. I mean, it's so mean. Poor Karen is just trying to participate, trying to bring some ideas, coming in with a good attitude. And Angela tells her, you tried this out. It's clearly not for you. It's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> and just tells her before that something like these are terrible ideas. Yeah. And part of me thought... I did. I definitely felt very sorry for Karen in that. But part of me also thought, is Angela really good at running meetings? <laughs> like I thought about if I, so one thing that I uh, dread in my job and never want to do is to be a head of one of the, the head of one of the committees. Because in what I witness, it seems like people are kind of awful to you. Like your ta- your tasks, you have this large task and things you have to do. Other people don't want to do them, but they're horrible to you when you are the leader of it. And I thought, what if I were to just take Angela's strategy of meetings and say, these are terrible ideas. We've tried this out. And clearly this is not for you. That This is not for you. Oh, I would love that. I mean... We want to we want a firm hand at the wheel, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, we we want the cold authoritarianism of Angela and White That's a good um, one. That's to a good run one. our progressive universities. Um, 
I well, I did watching this. I was like, okay, we're, and we're definitely gonna have to like come back to this next episode because I feel like it's only gonna increase. But I just remember you saying, I think on pod at one point that this uh, show will give us a chance to sort of think about the committee as a, hmm. as a as a as a institutional form and as a kind of political structure. Well, you um, put that way better than I ever put it, but yes, that's what I said. <laughs> and and so I was thinking about that here. I, I wrote, all I wrote in my notes was committee work. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but what I really enjoyed about it was kind of the like end run around the committees, like to make the committee of committees that will decide mm -hmm. which committee is more or less valid. And I thought that that was kind of hilarious. And yes, I was like, this is how bureaucracy arises. Is like a <laughs> way to 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 limit the power of some other you know um rogue committee or something like that and it yeah. was just interesting the debate about legitimacy of like which party is more or less legitimate and which model of party do you want to support like it makes sense that angela doesn't support drinking and karaoke and like basically anything that cuts against her waspy um repression mm -hmm. um but also she wants like a highly traditional. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like that outfit <laughs> she's wearing is so. Um, oh, my God, it is. It is so creepy to me, that shirt. Like it's a perfect choice. Yeah, um, it's like a white lacy top, but like very high necked. It's actually an interesting combination of looking very, I don't know kind of old-timey and maybe Victorian or something. Yes. But also okay. being a little sexy because it's also see-through. But, you know, it's the kind where you wear, like, a, a tank top underneath. No, you're not seeing any of that. I am... I, what you're describing to me sounds foreign and scary. Like, whatever it was that Carol Tyler, proposed to Michael. We Tyler. have different tastes, I think. And I don't, <laughs> don't want to kink shame you, but Angela's outfit is have we used the phrase boner killer on the podcast before it always comes up in relation to clothes last time <laughs> pull up for you this time it's angela's shirt as the episode continues i just want you to pay a little attention to it's the sheer quality of it okay okay um, i will i, I will. think that that's i think that's something to look out for but maybe one thing we can explore as we get into part two is how does the episode test out these different committee styles and committee right. practices because we see the way that Pam and Karen work together and what we're going to be able to find is the outcome like what happens of their party and we see how Angela runs her party committee and we can find out what happens there and then just one more item on the note of committees that I thought was so funny is how Jim makes up this bullshit validity committee to yeah. evaluate the validity of the committees but how uh, Dwight and Angela really respect the committee. Yes. So they respect the choice that that committee makes. Like they respect the bureaucracy, the, the choice that committee makes. And when Dwight asks if he can have permission to join the committee and it's rejected, they're both like, oh, crap. Like as if there was a real chance of getting on to this committee. So yeah. anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this will be interesting. Does the script that we have, by the way, does it include scenes that were deleted or that are in the like extended edit by any chance? It includes scenes that are in part two. Huh. Okay. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, one, well, it's just a side note, but there's a moment in here where 
uh, when when Ryan gives all his reasons for why he can't go. Yeah. Does Jim say, because I don't remember in the episode where Jim says, thanks for taking all the excuses, dude. Did oh, yeah, he, he does. He does. And that. I just missed it. Oh, OK, because I did actually think like when um, like, why would Jim say yes? Like, because <laughs> uh, anyway, but nonetheless, you're totally right that 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 they respect the authority. So when Jim says, uh, yeah, I'm starting a committee to determine the validity of the two committees and I am the sole member, the committee will act on this now. Dwight says, okay, this is stupid. Jim says, could you please keep it down? I'm in session. I've determined that this committee is valid. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Permission to join the validity committee. <laughs> Permission denied. <laughs> it's just so great. Um, yeah. Like so he great. joins into the structure of committees where like you have to join in order yeah. to participate. My only two other notes are uh, Pam lies to Karen uh, when she says mm. uh basically like when she's sort of like oh yeah maybe i should date that guy yeah um, i don't know if it's it's lying by omission but i was yeah. like i don't know when Aaron says to... oh roy's cute you should date him right right um and then the ending of this episode is just fucking amazing where like mm -hmm. we're on a cliffhanger but the cliffhanger is simply which party will stanley go to you know will he go to the one with you know uh you know, with booze or will he go to the one with whatever desserts Angela has provided? Um, and his glance at the at the camera is just delightful. It is. It is so good. I love that, too. Um, yeah, that it's a Stanley cliffhanger yeah. and Stanley, who's the most like, I do not give a shit kind of guy. Like, I do not care about either of your parties. I do not want to be involved in this drama. And so I love it that it's him. And it was interesting when cliffhangers are not a practice of this show. Like, this is not how this show works, right? Is having cliffhangers from one episode to the next. And so it was right. interesting putting it on, like, the most... Uh, I don't know. Is it low stakes or is it high stakes? It's, like, a very low stakes kind of stupid thing. And yet also very high stakes and a very difficult decision to make. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I love the way that they play the stakes of it too, because Dwight is like, "Begin the party" or whatever. You know, yes. Like, it's so so over dramatic, and that makes it so funny. Yes. Before we jump to Chili's, mm -hmm. to our Dundies, which party would you go to? Uh, I actually kind of want to hit up both because I was going to say. Um, Pam and Karen's theirs does seem much more fun much better spirited both of their drinks looked good and I would want to try both but I think Angela's gonna have some really good baked goods that I would want also yeah that's a good point yeah why not do both I like I like where your head's at the one other thing that I have I I was wondering and I don't remember from watching this originally if they did it together like was it two episodes did they do them right back to back and have it together like as one bigger extended thing or oh, that's was point. there actually a week in between i don't remember um but anyway we should let's put that on our revision form thing okay all right tyler dundies i have a few dundies oh okay i have a i have a handful of them um so i'm gonna give uh, the um, Office Protocol Award to mm. Toby 
and I don't know whether this scene suggests that he is good or bad at his job because he does cave, but he's also so chill. Um, so I was impressed by Toby's attempt to manage uh, office protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give the uh, letting him down easy award to Carol. Um, <laughs> I thought this was a masterful breakup. Um, and I was impressed by the way she kept her cool despite the strange and creepiness of all of this. Um, and then finally, this may surprise you, um, but I'm going to give the uh, Forming an Alliance Award to Pam. Okay. Uh, and I, this is especially because I think Pam is like an, a key um, plot generator in this episode. And uh, and while she may be deceiving herself or others, I was here for it. So Nice. I don't know if we're allowed to give three, but I'm doing it. There are no rules. We're allowed. Michael gives one to absolutely everyone. So, you know. Okay, Tyler, I have to say, I considered all the people you gave awards for my Dundies. Um, I am going to give a runners-up award, and this is going to be the Christmas Spirit Award for Pam. And it is specifically because of the way that she decorates her desk. She brings Christmas-themed candy. She had this kind of cute little setup where there was like, I think a North Pole sign and maybe a reindeer and like some little things. I felt like that brought some fun spirit to the office. I appreciated it. And I also did like um, her alliance with Karen, but I need to give the emotional vulnerability award to Michael Scott. I mean, incredible, incredible performance in this episode. It's true. I am shocked, but I approve. (laughs) <laughs> you're shocked how could i go any other way i mean it's a <laughs> episode true. he's so exquisite it's true it's true all right well next time we will be back for benihana christmas part two i look forward to it thanks for listening everybody thanks for listening bye <laughs>